Welcome to episode 56 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony. And we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Comes falling down for you. There's nothing in this world I wouldn't do. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. What is going on? Not much. Just getting ready to record episode 56. It is episode 56. Yes, this is already take two. It's going to be a great day. Counting is one of my favorite things, and somehow I missed 56. So, it, well, let's start good. with some denials this week. We'll switch it up a bit. Yes. Jesse, what are you denying this week? Oh, so this week I'm denying not getting some free books. And one of the ways you could get some free books, or at least get, increase your opportunity for some quality free books, is to go to reformedbrotherhood.com backslash backslash contest yes that is a great website i'm glad that we made it so um, <laughs> we're running a contest all, all of our episodes for the month of october are sponsored by zondervan and they have uh very generously provided us a copy of each of the five sola books uh, in celebration of the reformation so you can go to that website um, some people have been confused about the way you enter the name of the books on that website which is reformbrotherhood.com slash contest uh, the names of the book are links and that will take you to the web app to do all of the different things to enter so lots of people are entering it's a lot of fun uh, it's going to be exciting we're going to announce those in the first episode in november uh, and the um, contest closes on october 28th so make sure you get your entries in there and you should check back frequently if you've already signed in because I may be adding more ways to get more entries. So you'll need to check back in. Um, we may be adding things like tell a friend about an episode. And if I can figure out how to make that work so you get an entry for it, then we'll do that. But check back frequently and we'll add stuff in there. You should tell a friend about an episode anyway because giving is its own reward. You don't it's need true. to look for that. But That's true. you might be able to win one by doing that. So definitely check back. So Tony, what yes. are you denying? I forgot what I'm denying. Oh, I'm denying misrepresenting people. I'm denying forgetting what I'm denying, but I'm also denying misrepresenting people. Interesting. How so? So this last week in the Reform Pub, um, there has been like a little controversy going on about the views on justification of all people of John Piper and Mark Jones. Have you heard about this controversy with uh, John, John Piper at all? Yeah, I'm like vaguely familiar with it. Like I give it a good 70% in terms of my understanding of what kind of drama is going on. Yeah, so in the introduction or in the foreword to the to Tom Schreiner's uh, book in the Five Solas series, which is one of the books you can win, which is Faith Alone, um, John Piper makes the point that um, although we are justified through faith or by faith alone, that there are other requirements necessary to attain heaven. And the, the word attain does not mean the same thing as obtain. And he's very intentional in that. And so the controversy is people look at that and they go, wait a second. And he says, you have to have good works in order to attain heaven. And they look at that and go, wait a second. Is John Piper saying somehow that the grounds of our salvation, our final salvation is our own meritorious works? And the answer is absolutely not. So I've talked to Mark Jones about this and I've clarified with him. And as far as he understands, his view and John Piper's view are the same. And what uh, what both of them are trying to say is that good works will always necessarily 
a company justification. So right. in order to attain, which simply means um, achieving the state or achieving the end result of heaven, of being in God's presence, you must have good works. And that's not to um, somehow like trade in your good works for a ticket at the door or anything like that. But if you don't have good works, if you're not um, obedient to Christ, then you'll not enter his kingdom. And it's it's crazy because um, in this debate, there's a debate within Reformed theology that we referenced on our new Paul episode. Mark Jones and Mike Horton are about as far apart on this as you can possibly get and still be Christians. But both of them agree on this point, which is crazy to me. And um, Mike Horton puts it this way, that if you have not begun the process of new obedience, then you will never be seated at the at Christ's banquet table in heaven. And right. I think that's a really good way to, to put it. And you can think of it like, um, like a name tag, right? The good works you have are a name tag, and they say Christian or justified or whatever. And so if you have your name tag, it's not like your name tag makes your name what it is, but your name tag reveals what your name is. So there's a little bit of confusion about the language and the the confusion is understandable. But um, people, even after that correction has been said, are continuing to say, well, I think that I think that um, John Piper really is trying to make it some works are somewhere somehow meritorious. Um, The guys over on the Theocast, which is a great podcast, you should check it out. But they ask the question is, why would we ever call into question whether someone who has been declared righteous in justification would would then be declared righteous in final justification? Uh, and the answer is nobody is doing that. So there's no sense at all that John Piper or Mark Jones would say it's possible for you to be justified initially and then not be justified finally. That is uh, N.T. Wright's view, not John Piper's view or Mark Jones's view. Right. So that's what I'm denying is misrepresenting and stubbornly insisting that you continue to misrepresent people even after you've been corrected. Yeah. And in this case, all they're doing is just putting the cart and the horse in the right order, at least exactly. as far as I'm concerned. I, I yep. like your metaphor because it's not even just like you're given the name tag, but it's as if you ever go to a conference and they've got the name tag ready for you at the table. And that's exactly. because you basically, your identity has already been vetted. You're given the name tag. So. What what kind of value does heaven have objectively for somebody that doesn't want to obey and lovingly seek after the Lord Jesus Christ and their actions in this life? Exactly. So, so I think what they're saying makes sense. Yep, absolutely. So Jesse, what are you affirming this week? So this week I'm affirming with finding proactive and creative ways to honor your pastors, especially this month. This is the month which we kind of set aside as just a, a really stark reminder that we should be doing these things, but I would encourage people this particular year not to even broker that responsibility with even money or gift cards, but find a unique way to go out of your way to show your pastors that what they're doing is making a change in their life, especially those who are really striving hard to courageously preach the word and have a strong fidelity to the scriptures. Show them that you love them and give them some encouragement for those hard days. Absolutely. That is a great affirmation, and um, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. And how about you, Tony? What are you affirming? I am affirming this awesome new movie that just came out. Have yeah. you heard about this movie? It's called, oh, the, yeah. it's called Calvinist. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've heard about Calvinist and I've heard about this movie. This movie is phenomenal. So we already recorded. I recorded an interview with the filmmaker who you may recognize uh, as the founder of the Reform Pub. And I won't give any more introductions. So we do that during the intro. 
uh, during the interview. But um, this movie's fabulous. Go buy it right now. It's available as we speak. Um, you should be able to pre-order it. You should be able to get it on digital download. Um, it's it's great. So, Jesse, do you have any thoughts before we go ahead and switch over to the interview? Here's what I love about our podcast and our conversations. It's an open-ended discourse about Reformed theology, and that's where this interview really comes in nicely. So I hope people have a, an open mind to understand what God is doing as he continues to reform throughout the generations. And I think this type of movie, seeking and discovering and exploring, is exactly what we need right now. Beautiful. All right, roll that tape. All right. Well, I have with us tonight um, probably the most famous Reformed podcaster that I know, um, Les Lanfear of the Reformed Pubcast, which is temporarily on hiatus, but I've been promised on his authority that it will be coming back eventually. Les, how are you doing tonight? Oh, boy. That's a... I'm doing very well. Did I just commit you to something you didn't want to be committed to? Uh, well, I guess I, I did it to myself, really. Um, so you're just <laughs> you're just repeating words that I myself have spoken. Um, but it's all good. No, I am I'm doing very well. I'm extremely tired. Um, I got in from uh, so th- as we're recording this, the movie isn't out yet. It probably will be by the time it airs. Uh, but uh, Jeff Durbin and Apologia Church flew me out there. We d- I did like their whole slew of um, of media outlets that they have, and then Jeff even set up yes. A- a premiere for the movie in his church, which was just so incredibly gracious and kind of him. And, uh, but anyways, I got, I got back into town last night at midnight. I didn't get to sleep until like four in the morning. And then we had an appointment thing at like seven. So I've had, I'm running out like three wow. hours of sleep, but that's crazy. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's all good. It is. It is. So, um, Les, you are, uh, finished now with the movie, which is called the Calvinist. Um, you can go to calvinistmovie.com is the website, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah. Calvinistmovie.com. That's right. Great. So if you're interested in this movie, um, go there right now, pause, pause the podcast, go there right now, order your copy. If you're not interested, then our goal is to make you interested by the end of this episode. <laughs> and I can say before we get started that I have seen the movie and it is phenomenal. So it is well worth whatever it is that Les is going to charge you for it. And I'm sure that the money will go to a great cause. So Les, why don't you just tell us a little bit kind of about yourself first, um, maybe how you got started with podcasting and then how, how the the story of this movie kind of came to be. Uh, so... Uh, my friend, okay, so I was in, it all kind of starts with how I became, refo- you know, a Calvinist to begin with. I was at a Calvary Chapel and I was like this, just the biggest Calvary Chapel fanboy you can imagine. Um, and I was in a youth ministry and a young adults ministry also, I was doing both. And um, I was asked to like start teaching in it. So they were kind of grooming me to be in some sort of position of leadership. And out of nowhere, I was at a friend's house one day and he said um, that he's like, Hey, have you heard about this, this Calvinism thing? It's like uh, all these guys, he starts naming these people in the church that are suddenly um, on this, on a watch list basically. Like, cause they're starting to believe this thing called Calvinism. I'm like, Nope, never heard of it. What is that? So he started telling me um, about how this devilish theology about how God doesn't love everyone. Jesus didn't die for everyone. Um, God, um, you know, he only saves 
a select people and I'm like, uh, my blood's boiling. Like, oh, how dare they? Um, so, and it, it really did. It became this sort of, um, problem in, in the church. <clears throat> and, uh, me being big Calvary Chapel, Chapel fanboy, I started investigating it. So, um, I, one of the biggest resources that I went to was this piece of contraband that was basically being passed around in the church called Amazing Grace, the Doctrine and History of Calvinism, or the, the History and Theology of Calvinism. So uh, I was like, all right, this is this is going to tell me what I need to know about Calvinism. So I took it home and I watched it. And I didn't watch all of it. I got to the part where they started talking about Pelagianism as being sort of the grandfather heresy of Arminianism. And uh, they talked about how Pelagius said that men are born clean slates, tabula rasa. And, uh, and so I paused it, and I was like, that's it. That's how you get around Calvinism. Men are born clean slates. They're born tabula rasa. So I embraced a heresy, and then I went to the church the following week in my teaching, and I stood up in front of the church, and I told them, in front of this, this young adults ministry, and I said, um, you know, some people say that we are born uh, with Adam's sin in us so that we, we're sinners from birth and we're guilty from birth. And I was like, but that's not true. We're born tabula rasa. We're born clean slates. And um, very shameful to say, but the, uh, the youth minister at the time there, he, 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 when the whole thing was over, he applauded me because I was, you know, fighting against this terrible movement that was happening within the church. But it was moments like that that, um, obviously, when I look back on that, I'm completely ashamed of myself, but uh, God was gracious, and I'm sure that youth minister didn't really realize um, the severity or the, you know, the size of the problem, which is in and of itself a pretty big problem that people in leadership and churches don't understand that that's a heresy. <clears throat> um, but anyways, one of the people that was there in that group was uh, a guy named Tanner, and he walked up to me. And he started challenging me, and then week after week after week, we would debate uh, Calvinism and uh, the the free will of man and um, the extent of the, the atonement. And then over the course of maybe a month or two, um, he and a couple other guys in the church really got to me and showed me like, no, this is actually biblical, and uh, I've been a slave to tradition for uh, basically the the stint of my entire Christian, you know, career. So, so anyways, I fell headlong into Calvinism and it became, uh, the thing that I love, you know, I went through the cage stage as it's called where I just became obsessed with it and started fighting with everybody. And then I got kicked out of that church because of it. And I went to another church and they were supposed to be reformed. And I got in a big tuffle with, with the pastor there. Uh, it was a pretty hectic time, but, um, anyways, fast forward maybe two, three years and Tanner and I, we love drinking craft beer. We love, um, podcasts and we love Calvinism. So we decided, uh, you know, these, what's the worst that could happen? Let's sit down, let's drink a beer. Let's, uh, talk about theology, whatever topics we want to talk about. Let's play games. Let's have fun. And let's take the, the sort of the elements of the comedy podcast genre that we love and then elements of 
these theology podcasts, like the dividing line and stuff like that. Let's just mash it together and see what happens. So we recorded a podcast called The Reformed Pubcast. And uh, I guess it really just struck a nerve um, with... Yeah, that's putting it lightly. <laughs> well, I, I mean it positively, but but uh, it, it also struck a lot of nerves negatively. But it, um, it, I guess, I mean, it, it really people wanted this and maybe they didn't even realize they wanted it but it was it was just it was lay people talking about theology in you know i'll use the word humble not not because i'm identifying myself as humble but in a in a in the way that like we're not we're not pretending to be in a place of authority we're just talking this stuff through and um and a lot of people were having those same conversations and they were they were, they loved craft beer as well, so it's like a bunch of sort of hipstery young young reform guys uh, were like, "This is exactly what I want to listen to," and that was the whole point. We were making the podcast that we wanted to hear, and then it turned out a lot of other people wanted to hear it too. So yeah, that's how it started. Yeah, it's been quite a ride, and I mean, you've the podcast has been. I mean, I I talk about how you're like the most famous reform podcaster <laughs> I know. But the, the pubcast has really kind of sparked a movement in podcasting, right? I mean, I don't even know how many sort of like pubcast clones there are out there yeah. that have sort of taken on their own life. I mean, our podcast in a lot of ways would never have come to be if it wasn't for the fact that we saw other other guys just like us making a podcast. So, I mean, I think all of us other reform pubcasters owe you and Tanner kind of a, a debt of gratitude to say – we figured out that we could do this because we saw that you could do this. Yeah, I think yeah, there's a couple of parts of it. Like um when when that when this sort of movement that you're referring to began, people were actually re- like reaching out to us and saying, Hey, we want to start a podcast called the Reformed Blank Cast. And it would just be fill in the blank with whatever thing. So there was gonna be the Reformed Marriage Cast and the Reformed Gun Cast and like people were and we were like we were like, could you could you not do that though? Uh, because it, for one, it's like okay, I, we're all sort of like definitely united because we're doing the exact same thing, just on a different. But but the second, the worst part of that is that if if you're about guns and you're about marriage and we're about we're just about pub now, like you're just you're just basically saying like that's that reform show that's about beer, and but that's not what we're trying to go for. Um, so, but yeah, people have definitely. I, I think the reason it was so I, I think people just it, there's a maybe an effortlessness to it like I th- I think there's in a weird way we were kind of good at it and not not again I'm not trying to toot my own horn I just think it sort of naturally worked out that way that we weren't awful at it and people heard it and they were like oh these two idiots can can actually do this so so can I and that's not always the case <laughs> Some people aren't are just kind of aren't naturally great at talking and uh, or, you know, talking into a microphone. So a lot of those things were like people try, really they just wanted to try it. Didn't really work out. But um, I don't know. Yeah, there was a lot of a lot of uh, variety of the kinds of shows that started. Yeah, I mean, I think before before I encountered the podcast, I think the only shows that I listened to were um, Renewing Your Mind like um, truth for life with Alistair Begg and white horse Inn, 
and like sermon podcasts basically and or like panel discussions reform forum and your show was really kind of the first let's get a couple guys and just talk about something and just have a conversation that we record and obviously like i think every podcast wants to kind of present their show at least the sort of new generation of podcasts as to like well these are just conversations we'd be having and we just happen to turn on the microphone yeah and i think we all kind of know that that's not really how it works but that's kind of the, the format that you guys, I think, really sort of pioneered. I had never encountered something before that. And now I think most reform podcasts, I mean, we did an episode on kind of like the theology of podcasting. Huh. And I think most podcasts have taken on that life. And so I think you guys have really got a legacy going on that's pretty cool. That is about the most encouraging thing you could possibly say uh, about my podcast. So yeah, I know I'm I'm waiting for the show to oh, come awesome. back, and, and you know we joke around how like you promised it came back, and I mean we know that like life happens and stuff happens. I know Tanner's got all sorts of crazy stuff going on with school and and his his work now, but we really are hoping that it comes back and want to encourage you to. Um, there's a there's a hole there's a pubcast shaped hole. In all of us. <laughs> Let's just put it that way in like the most theologically like ridiculous way I can. <laughs> I love it. So let's let's talk quickly about the Facebook group because the I, did the did the podcast come first or was it kind of a symbiotic development or or how did that come to be? Yeah, uh, it's a it's a really strange how it all happened because so so we started the podcast and okay so there was um, actually Marcus Pittman he had a Facebook group called uh, Reformed Brew. And it had like 200 people in it, uh, me and some of my, some of my friends were in there, Tanner was in there. And when Tanner and I decided we were going to do a podcast, um, we were like, well, it's, it's perfect. And those, those guys in the Reformed Brew group, they'd love it. So let's call it the Reformed Brew Podcast. So that was, that was the plan from the beginning. So I dropped into Marcus's group and I said, hey guys, uh, Tanner and I, my friend Tanner and I, nobody knew who either of us were. Um, we're about to start a podcast next week. I think you guys will love it. We're going to call it the Reform Brew Podcast. And uh, so they, they, I can tell this story. I literally uh, was hanging out with Marcus until like two in the morning, the night after the premiere of my movie, drinking champagne with him. And it was just me and him. And he's the guy that I wanted to be hanging out with after my premiere. So uh, Marcus and I are very good friends now. We, we absolutely love each other. Um, so so this story, I can tell this story now, um, looking back uh, as funny, but Marcus, again, knowing, having no idea who I was, said, absolutely not. This is why we trademarked that name. We are going to do things with this, with this name. Do not use that name. And I was like, whoa, okay. All right. I guess, I guess I'll back off. And then I, so I, so my next comment was, does anybody have any suggestions for names for this podcast? And the first guy was like, why don't you call it the Reformed Pub Cast? And I was like, done, whatever. We got to record this thing tomorrow. Doesn't even matter. That that's the name. And so we so we rolled with it. Um. So, but then we were like, well, it's not connected to this this Facebook group anymore. Um. I guess we'll just start our own Facebook group. So we called. You know, the show's called the Reformed Pub Cast. So we made a group called the Reformed Pub. Um. And and I just we invited our friends who we knew were into reform theology, and they invited their friends, and it started off, you know, I I mean obviously everything starts off small, but it started off, you know, it was people listening to the show and making comments and then making jokes, and there was a lot of a lot of fun. it was I mean it was a crazy fun 
environment. And it was so, it was, it was active, crazy active from the very beginning. Um, I, I don't know why, like maybe like the banner was super colorful cause it was our original, uh, cartoon character artwork and all this stuff. So we we're just trying to set a tone of, of fun. And then I don't know the thing just, that's, it was just, just lightning in a bottle. Cause, um, it stopped being so much a fan club for the podcast and it became a casual place to discuss reform theology. Um, so that the name reformed pub, uh, beyond two guys sitting around drinking a beer, talking about theology, it became like, uh, a community, like a community a, or a, a communal meeting place that's not pretentious where we can talk about the reformed faith. Uh, and that, so it just, it just became very, very popular and people loved it. And, um, and I owe a ton of that. I, I owe it all actually to like, I remember the first time, uh, someone really became a jerk in there and he started insulting women <clears throat> and these two women who I'm, who I'm friends with, they started calling my name out in the, in the thread, uh, less you need to do something about this. This guy's basically like insulting women. <clears throat> so I come in and I'm like, Hey, if you don't stop, I'm going to kick you, kick you out of this group. And, uh, and this other guy was coming in. He's like, you can't kick him out. He's just standing up for the word of God. And I'm like, well, well I'll, I'll just, I'm going to do it. So, so I did it. I kicked this guy out. And then his friend starts coming after me in, in direct messages. And he's like, oh, I can't believe you did that. He's the most confessional man I know. He's a, I think he said he was a pastor and all this stuff. So I was like, oh my gosh. I like, I, I'm like super nerd. Like my heart's beating, uh, pounding out of my chest. And like, I'm being like short with my wife. Because it was just like all up in my head. I'm like, what have I done? I've like, I've offended somebody. <clears throat> and um, so I reached out to the guy and I was like, hey man, um, you know, if you'll consider it, I'd like to let you back into the group. Uh, it was really, so, you know, I shouldn't have responded that way. I don't know, whatever. So, and he's like, well, I'll come back if you publicly apologize in the group. And I'm like, uh, okay, yeah, whatever. So I was just this spineless jellyfish idiot that had no idea what I was doing. And I was like terrified to lay down any law. So I let him back in and then people were 10 times as angry at me for, for bringing him back. They're like, are you kidding? You're apologizing to this guy. So I reached out to uh, somebody that I saw that was in the group that was also an admin in, an, in a reformed Baptist group. And his name was Brandon Solberg. And I asked him if he would help me admin because he'd, he'd done it a lot and he taught me how to kick people out and not care at all oh man do i not care when i kick somebody out now <laughs> oh all that it was a new era yeah, all that drama is gone um but yeah so he but he came in he, he he knew how to like set rules and all this stuff and that changed the game because there were big there were big theology facebook groups out there the I'm going to name names because I don't think anybody actually cares, but there was one called um, Calvinism, the group that chooses you. And that group was the biggest. It was like seven or 8,000 people. And, um, but it just wasn't managed. Like you could say whatever you wanted and it was kind of up to the people to push back or accept it. And crazy things got like a lot of traction that shouldn't have. And 
the pub works because yeah, we're laid back on one end of the spectrum. Yeah, we're strict in our theology on the, on the other end of the spectrum. But the thing that matters is that there's actually people who care about the community who are doing the work of overseeing what's being said and caring about um, sort of, uh, I'll, I'll use the term loosely, the purity of, of the group to some, to some degree. And uh, people like Tony Arsenal uh, joining, the, joining the pack and doing the work. So I definitely appreciate the admins. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I was in uh, the group that chooses you. And the, the other big one um, that I remember is Cal- was a Calvinism fellowship Ooh, debate and discussion or something Those like some that. doozies. And which is still a yeah. pretty big group. Yeah. But um, my experience, I actually got kicked out of both Oof. of those groups. And I got kicked out of those groups for saying things like, well, the Athanasian Creed isn't written by Athanasius, so maybe we should think about calling it something else. <laughs> and then it was like, gone. So, like, it was weird because, like, there was some really crazy ideas that were allowed to stand. And then there was, like, seemingly kind of innocuous sort of academic discussions that just triggered somebody to kick you out. And I think what I found is unique about the pub, and I think I think why it's been so successful is that, you know, we do try to... We, we aren't we aren't shy at all about who we are like we're a confessional group and you're welcome to be here um, but we're not gonna let you spend a lot of time trying to prove to people that the core of who we identify ourselves as can you know confessional Calvinists that that's wrong there's lots of places for you to do that and, and you know we have our blessing to go somewhere else and a lot of us are in those groups and we'd love to have those conversations but I think that sort of you know you described it well that on one end we're laid back we like to have fun. You know, we post glamour shots of our beers and our books. And then on the other end, we're willing to like have like discussions with people for hours trying to explain to them why they can't teach a certain thing in our group. Um, but I think, you know, I never heard that story about the the first the first yeah. ban of the reform pub. Um, and now it's like a daily, daily occurrence that somebody is getting themselves kicked out for something. Yeah, yeah. And it's become even like an internal joke. But but I mean, that's just the nature of a of a Facebook group that has, that has adminning that people are going to get kicked out. But the crazy, okay. So the crazy thing about all of that. So, so those two groups, uh, Calvinism fellowship, you know, whatever. And, um, the group that chooses you, they were at like seven or 8,000 when we started. And then, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm maybe the only one in the group that cares about numbers just cause I think it's pretty crazy that ha- like how much growth there's been, but we crossed the 10,000 mark before either of them did and it's like i feel like facebook theology facebook group users sort of started popping up out of nowhere because of the pub and then those other groups grew even more shortly after um and i mean yeah now there's like a there's like a million theology discussion groups i think um one of our admins did some some really surface level research i think we're one of the largest theology-based Facebook groups that are, are out there. There's a couple sort of weird squirrely ones that are like super liberal that I think just there's it's kind of the same reason liberal churches sometimes are really big is you can go in there and, and not have to sort of account for yourself. So it's really appealing. You kind of have a platform. But it's funny you say you're the only one that, that cares about numbers because I have the pub statistics pulled up on my tablet right now. And in the last 28, the last 28 days, We've had 421,000 engagements, which is a post, a comment, or a reaction in 28 days. So it's 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 interesting because 
you know, you've got this legacy of the podcast, which is its own, its own life, its own thing. And you've now you've also got this legacy of the Facebook group, which is um, connected to the podcast, but also has a life of its own and its own kind of persona. And now you've got this movie. So tell us a little bit about how the movie came into being. Uh, yeah, I've used this line multiple times. So uh, anybody who's heard it already is going to roll their eyes. But necessity is the mother of invention. I made the movie. I made the movie because I was unemployed. Um, that's that's the truth of the matter. So I lost. I've, I've worked in various aspects of the film industry in the past, and I was. My last job was in like a an app company startup, and um, I it just went under. So I was unemployed, and I didn't know what to do with myself, and um, I. Uh, I thought, well, actually I was going to write, I was going to write a book, which probably would have been terrible because I am not a good writer. Um, but I asked, I asked some trusted people. I asked Joe Thorne or Scott Clark. I asked both of them, like, what do you think? And they're like, yeah, go for it. So I was like, sweet, I'll do it. And then someone in the pub, actually, I asked if anybody had written a book before and it's the wife of the guy who wrote the book. Wait till it's free. Have you heard of that movie? Or that book? I haven't. It's about uh, it's about healthcare and Obamacare and stuff like that. Uh, but she said my husband um, wrote a book and then he made a movie. I mean, he made a documentary. Um, and I was like, why didn't I think of that? Like, I should make a movie, not write a book. Um, so then I like one night I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna throw together. I'm just gonna grab some clips from the internet and grab some sermons some sermon clips and i'll do a little bit of voiceover and throw together this this a trailer like what what would be a cool like thing to get people get calvinists excited about a movie about calvinism so i threw this thing together and it was like oh yeah and i also reached out to the pub and i said everybody grab your iphone and take a video of yourself saying um i'm a calvinist and send it to me so uh, this so this this trailer is it's like really passionate John Piper, really passionate Stephen Lawson, and then really passionate R.C. Sproul talking about like very, you know, almost cliche Calvinist sayings that they've said in really powerful ways. And and then I was like, who are these people? I'm going to find out. And then it flips to these, uh, all these people in the pub that pop up on the screen in this grid and they're like, I'm a Calvinist, I'm a Calvinist, I'm a Calvinist. And uh, it was, it was, I don't know, it just got, really, really got people excited. And I put it out there and people started sharing it like crazy. And the I think the video got like 25, I mean, 25,000 views isn't a lot, but in like just a, just a day. And I'm like, wow, people actually are interested in this. And everybody was raving about it. And for me, it was like, well, this isn't actually a thing, but maybe it should be. So that spawned me, spawned the idea of maybe I'll actually make a movie and I'm going to put together a budget and I'm going to put it up on Kickstarter and I'm going to see if people will actually uh, support this idea. And they, I asked for $35,000 out of the gate and we met that goal in three days. And then uh, over the course of the rest of the month, uh, it was like 82000 by the by the end of it, <clears throat> which that's still not a, a big budget for a movie, but it was the biggest blessing in the world because... I thought I might be able to buy a couple plane tickets and a nice camera and spend three months cutting together a movie with three or four interviews. 
you know, I, I had James White. James White said he'd do it. Or Scott Clark and Joe Thorne. Those were my guys. And then, <laughs> and then uh, people started to see that this was like, people were super excited about it. So then I got, you know, like R.C. Sproul said he would do it and Paul Washer and Shai Lin. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And I think now is the first time it's like, I've been so um, just hectic and just, you know, frantically trying to get this thing out where it's like, now is the moment where I feel like I'm starting to look back and I'm like, what just happened? Like, how did I just interviewed all of my heroes of the faith um, across the United States and even Canada, like Tim Challies. Um, And I don't even know how, like, I'm just some doofus that had a podcast and, you know, came up with an idea. So yeah, I'm super excited. Yeah, I mean, and like I said earlier, I've seen the movie and it, it's really phenomenal. It, I mean, my wife and I watch a lot of sort of the Netflix documentaries, kind of the newest big sort of Netflix trend. And I think that the yeah. film quality, the production quality, the everything about the movie is at least as good, if not better than most of what you see on those kind of professionally produced Netflix movies. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking that this is like some you know, just some guy with like a, an iPhone and a tripod who's filming people. It, it's not, it's a professionally produced quality documentary. And, um, I was amazed with just the, the wide range of people that you were able to interview. So you've got people all the way from podcasters to people who, you know, Tim Challies is a professional blogger to pastors, apologists, you have professors at seminary. I mean, it, rappers, it's everything. Um, so it's, it's a huge range. And so what, what would you say is, um, kind of the main thread that, that ties the whole movie together? What's, what's the main thing that, that is moving through the whole movie that's trying to keep it together? The movie is based like, um, I think I, I've just obviously been because of the podcast, because of the Facebook group, um, I've been very much, um, intertwined with my own generation of Christians who were disillusioned by the state of the church as they were growing up and started to ask serious questions about the basics of the faith, and it led them to uh, to reform theology, to reform teachers, uh, and, you know, to, the, to this, most for most of us, a pretty profound and dramatic um, um, discovery when it comes to the doctrines of grace and realizing that like God chose me and God regenerated me when I wanted nothing to do with him and uh, you know God will never let me go and and when we realized that it was I mean it was it was in, but in what and it wasn't just happening in like one or two individuals which you know obviously God has kept at least the reformed faith alive since the reformation so it's not like calvinism is new it's always you know the the presbyterian church has always been there in america it was right you know it was right down the street we just didn't we just didn't know what it was um but it but this phenomenon sort of happened where it became popular where you many would venture to say that it became cool to be a calvinist which is just I mean, how the heck did that even, how the heck did that even happen? So I just thought that movement, um, that, that phenomenon deserved 
to be to be explained, to be told, to be revisited. If not, if for nothing else, for the sake of me and my friends who went through it, and who many of us have gotten kind of stale as far as the beauty and magic and glory of what those truths meant to us when we first discovered them, because it's human nature to move on to the next thing and sort of uh, forget, uh, you know, just how just how glorious those first few, uh, th- those foundational things uh, really were as far as our identity and how much God loved us. When we start talking about, you know, infralapsarianism and uh, infant baptism, and we start, which which these things are all very important, but we have to be careful not to, not to lose sight of like, you know, we 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 really like we can tell people that we didn't deserve this grace. We can tell people those things, but like it's it's it stops like blowing our minds and making us want to weep uh, at how beautiful that is. So I, I just wanted to the, the the on the simplest level, I wanted the movie is. A reminder to us of how beautiful uh, those that that time in our lives was. There's a lot more to it, but I think that's the the basic premise. Yeah, and I think um, you know I, I think this is going to sound like way like delusions of grandeur, sort of. But I think every generation of Christians has kind of a watershed event, and for your generation, my generation, for you know, kind of guys in their late twenties, early mid thirties. For a lot of us, this sort of wave of new Calvinism is that watershed moment in our life as far as like the religious life of the American church. And I think Mm. what your film captures so well is helping us understand the history of that because everything that happened that led us, you and I, into the, the new Calvinism. And then I think for hopefully for most of us, but for a lot of us, sort of out of the new Calvinism and into a more robust confessional Calvinism, um, there's a history, right? There's men of God who came before us and women behind the scenes in a lot of cases and some in the front of the scenes who came before us that sort of kicked this thing all off. So what I really appreciated about your film is how you spent time explaining how it all started because I, I didn't I didn't know a lot of that history. I didn't know about um, kind of how it how it all happened with Ligonier and with John Gerstner and all of the different people that you highlight in the film. Um, I think that helps ground us all a little bit better. So I think, mm. you know, if you're listening to the show and you're um, kind of in that young Calvinism crowd or you're moving out of that, or maybe it feels a little stale, it feels like I'm kind of done with this, pick up this movie and, and give it a show. Because I, I when I got done with it, I was like, man, I got to go home and I got to get all my books out again. Because I was I was invigorated <laughs> to study, I was invigorated to get back in the word, I was invigorated to go back in some of the podcasts that I you know like renewing your mind. I love renewing your mind, but it kind of goes through these loops where like, all right, well, dust to glory is coming up a second time. I don't need to listen to that. But recognizing <laughs> the history of Ligonier, it reinvigorated me to go. All right, you know, I should go back and listen to that again because this was so foundational in kind of the life of the, life of the part of the church that I'm in that I need to really be a part of that in a fresh way. Um, wow. So I, I think your film is great. And I, I know like you're, you're a lot humbler than I think you give yourself credit for. And that's probably because you're a lot humbler than you give yourself credit for. But this, <laughs> this movie I think really is going to have an impact on people in a way that you 
probably didn't anticipate and probably wouldn't um, wouldn't ever dream of. But I think that there's going to be a lot of people that are really impacted by it because it's it's inspirational to see where we came from. And then you close the movie kind of with a a vision for where we need to be going. And that vision is squarely rooted in scripture. It's clearly that we need to we need to be continuing to be reformed by the word of God. And the way we do that is by diving into the church, not by like elevating ourselves above it. Does that make sense? That is that's what I was going for. So yeah, I hope that makes sense. There you go. Yeah, I'm I'm actually having having uh I don't know. The the artist side of me is is starting to really like kind of go crazy because um like you know so Marcus Pittman he he's he's made a movie before he made uh, babies are murdered here he's he's actually made a few um and his advice from the beginning is he you know he was telling me all the all the crazy psychological things that happen like um when you when you release the movie like you're never done um it, it it's it's just at some point it's time to release it so there's that part of it it's like eh, this could be better it could always be better um, and then there's I, like, and so now I'm, ha- I'm having this sort of crisis of like all the people I show the movie to are people that, um, are at least nice to me, um, uh, for the most part. So, and they're all saying like, I mean, some people are saying like pretty nice things. And then other people are saying like things that are, I have no business being said about me. Cause it's like, it's just incredibly kind and like glowing sort of reviews of the movie that, that at this point, now that I've seen it maybe 1.5 million times, um, over the course of making it, um, I feel like at best it's, it's, it's okay, you know? So, um, so that's, that's the hard thing. It's like, um, just, I don't know. It's like you get all up in your head, especially for something like this, where it's, I've spent a year making it and, just pour like and i want i want it to represent like i'm dealing with the most glorious topic that i can comprehend and you know if i fall short on that is i don't know so it's it's all that it's like the artist the artist in me is is uh going through a little crisis right now but um hopefully the lord will uh you know calm me through it yeah i I wanted to ask you because there's a couple parts of the movie that um i think you recognized, you know, I'm thinking of one in particular, you recognized is might be a little controversial. So I wanted to ask you about kind of the segment on, and you don't have to give away spoilers or anything like that, but the segment where you talk about Mark Driscoll, because I think um, as much as, you know, this is the story of kind of our generation of Christians, the saga of Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill is like a big gaping wound for a lot of us. Um, so tell me a little bit about kind of like what your thinking was going into that. Cause I know you struggled with how do I can't skip this cause it's such a big part of the story, but tell me a little bit about like your thought process and, and what you're trying to communicate in that segment. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're jumping right to the most easily the most difficult part of the entire process of making this movie was that, that specific segment. Um, so there's people who have who've um who've seen the movie uh excuse me uh outside of the united states like in europe and uh, other places and they've told me that that section really confused them because they just didn't see how it had any bearing on 
the reformed reformed theology and Calvinism. Um, but then the people who are actually in America and a part of the generation in question, um, it was some of them. They said it was their their favorite part of the movie because it was so necessary and um and the people in you know the, by the final product people said that it was done very well and very fairly and and all that but um there's probably been 20 iterations of that segment and um my very very confessional um sending pastor so my my pastor uh here in Port St. Lucie is we're a we're a church plant so our sent our sending church is in uh Stewart this guy's his name's uh, Bernie Van Eyck he's been uh he's well known and you know just very much presbyterian and uh he watched my very first cut and he like he thought it was the most brutal unnecessary attack uh and he he was basically he was like get it get it out of there like this what are you doing like you're like i it felt like a condemnation to him. And so from my perspective, I was like, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to condemn the guy. So I guess it was just like, it's just talking about this subject feels so rough, no matter how you how you uh, go after it. So there were iterations where it felt way too harsh. There were iterations where it felt like I was letting him off the hook and sort of giving a defense for the things that happened. Um and for those who have seen the movie, uh, what I tried to do in the final estimation is honor the man for the contributions that he did make, uh, because I don't want to take those away from him, because it was hugely important to me and to so many people that I know. Um, but then I didn't even have to do the less work that I did to demonstrate the downfall, like the, the the bad part of it, the better it got, and um and again, if you've seen it, I stumbled across a, actually somebody sent me a, a clip from YouTube that um that per, it was just perfect, it was like providential, like this let 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 him say this, and then that's all it needs to be said. Yeah, um, yeah, I um yeah. I I think I messaged you, but when I watched that clip, I hadn't seen that interview that he did. I don't I don't know what the context was. It looked like it was some sort of church leadership summit they were doing at their their campus, but I I had like chills because it was, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of in the Gospel of John when um Caiaphas is saying something like, "Nice, what what is it right. better for one man to die than for the whole nation?" And then John comments and says he didn't realize, but he was speaking prophetically. You know, it's a paraphrase, yeah. and that was what it reminded me of. Is it's like the one guy that we all know succumbed to this, and he's not the only one, obviously, but the the most famous sure. guy who kind of succumbed to the pride that comes with that kind of level of influence was also the guy, and and I think a lot of people. For me, that brought a sense of closure because, you know, I've been very hard on Mark Driscoll and I've been very, very transparent about what I think about Mark Driscoll and his new church and all that stuff. And that aside, there still has always been this sense of like, I need closure because like, this is someone that was really influential in my life. This is someone who even a lot of people still look at and say, well, he still has really great things to say. And he does have really great things to say, but he himself was the one who said, 
you know, this is this is the danger we have to avoid. And if this happens, we got to get someone out of here. So it brought a sense of closure to me. And I think, you know, Mark Driscoll, you could add like Tulian Tavidian. There's a, there's a couple high profile guys that have had something happen that disqualified them. There really are cautionary tales for us. And I think your movie yep. balances exactly what you're trying to do. From from my perspective, you showed me an earlier version of it. And, and I think this version of, of the story, this version of the account really does nail exactly what you're going for. It shows, you know, this movement would not have been what it was without him. And there's a lot of Christian guys who are reformed now that would probably wouldn't be without him. But at the same time, we have to be careful because the second we start looking to someone who's not Jesus to bring us to where we need to be, that's when we're at the most risk. And there does seem to be kind of a propensity among reform guys to cling to a figure, to cling to a personality. So I I just really appreciated that segment. And, you know, I I know you worked hard on it and it shows that you really put a lot of thought into it because it didn't come across as condemnatory but it also didn't come across in the least as excusing his behavior and his actions in the midst of all that controversy good good because i yeah i was accused of both of those things throughout the throughout the the process so yeah thank you very much for that encouragement yes well we are we are coming up on our time here so um the movie releases on october 2nd and there's all sorts of ways to get it and Wes, what's the best way for someone to go and uh order it if they want to get it or on digital download what's the best place to do that yeah by now uh the website should be fully uh showing all the links to all the various uh things so go to calvinistmovie.com you can get it in dvd you can get it in blu-ray you can get it in streaming you can download it um and it's in the works right now it might not be done by the time this launches but uh it should be shortly available on iTunes and Amazon and, uh, you know, all those other streaming outlets. And maybe, maybe one day on Netflix, maybe. That would be awesome. That would be great. That'd be pretty sweet. All right. And um, so the podcast right now is on hiatus, but how many episodes did you guys do before you were forced to take a break? Uh, 165 is where we left off. 165. So the moral of the story is that if you subscribe to the pubcast feed and start with episode one, you will get to see the development of Les and Tanner theologically and in their <laughs> own spiritual maturity. And by the time you catch up, if everything goes well and God's providence <laughs> will have new episodes. So don't feel like you can't go subscribe to the feed because there's nothing new coming out. Cause there's a lot to listen to. Yeah. We're, we're, we're in the, we're in the talks of, um, of figuring out when to restart and it might, it might be pretty soon. Um, and we might, we might make some format changes just to make things more, uh, more, I don't know, just shake things up a little bit, but, but you're right. I think, you know, even as over the past, I guess, two months that we haven't been doing it, I, I look back on it and say, you know, even if we never did another episode, I think at this point, the show is literally like, the story arc of these two um, young, um, um, just, we just had no idea what, what we were doing or talking about. And not to say that we're brilliant now, but um, I, I guess it's just, you get to see the progression of young, restless, reformed dudes become confessional, 
um, reformed dudes. And uh, hopefully, hopefully that was an enjoyable experience for some people who followed along along the way. Yeah. Well, Les, thank you for coming on the show and thank you for your work on this movie. Um, you know, I, I, I really do appreciate the work you did and the movie blessed me and I'm sure that'll bless a lot of people besides me. Thank um, you. So if you're listening to this show, the first thing you should do is go order your copy of Calvinist and then you should go subscribe to the podcast feed and um, check out their back catalog. All right. Well, that should just about do it. Thanks again for joining us. Um, We look forward to having you again on the show sometime. And until next time, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Uh